Am I good to go? I got to look at everybody. I was up front, so I didn't get to. Looks fairly safe, so I think we're all right. It's good to be here. It's been a good weekend hanging out with Merlin and Heidi. So thank you guys for that. It was to see some of the area. It's been awesome so far. Sunday school was, I guess I just want to say, was it salt and light class? Or they all called that. Um, Younger than me, but I was just overwhelmed by the love of the word of God in that class. And that gets me excited um, to see younger people just truly in the word. You could tell there was just a love there of wanting to know and not only just the word for intellectual, but they wanted to know God. They wanted to know what he was like, his character, um, his promises. And that was just really encouraging to me. So, still trying to figure out what, I want, what he wants to talk about. I will share just a couple things. We're, so we are from New York, upstate. You kind of go west and then up a little bit. So it's about 10 hours. Um, Living Hope Ministries conference will be up there this summer if you want to take the trek up there at Nomburg. So we're right near like Nomburg, Krogan, um, Carthage, Christian Community Center. There's a handful part of the CMC conference. But we were originally Pine Grove. And I'll share this, I guess, Aaron, I believe was his name, was sharing about prayer. And I'm, I think we're going to be heading there talking about prayer. Um, I'll share this too. What kept coming to mind as we were worshiping and even as Aaron was sharing, and you can take this or leave it, but the walls are coming down. I almost think literally Merlin, so I don't know. There was a building fund today, so if you want to revisit that on the way out. But I also felt that it was because of prayer that the walls will be coming down. And we were... Originally Pine Grove Mennonite Church, and we were planted in the Watson community in the early 50s out of Krogan, Lowville Mennonite churches had went there. Um, They were there until the early 90s, and then they had been using a community building, and one, they had kind of outgrown it. It's it's a neat, and actually I think at conference there'll be opportunity to visit that old building, Um, but the community owned it. They kind of outgrown it and just needed to find something different. At the time, there was nothing in Watson in that community that worked. There had been different discussions within the church. Um, obviously, this was a little bit before my time. Um, a church building became available over near the Nomberg Mennonite Church in Casterland, and they moved there. And I remember actually finding even a paper a newspaper clipping that said Pine Grove Mennonite Church is temporarily relocating until property or something can be found back in the Watson area. Um, so they had moved over in the early 90s, and I, Amanda and I started going in, I don't know, 2006-ish, around there. I was ordained in 2008. And Pastor Nate is there. At the time, I was assistant pastor Always, I don't think he had ever lost the vision or the desire to be in that Watson community. Um, it almost felt like there was a kind of a cloud over. And so for about 30 years, we were over in Nomburg, and God did things for sure, but it, I don't know as it ever felt like home for them. And then even for us, as being around Nate, that like his vision started becoming my vision of just feeling like 
almost like we knew he belonged back in Watson, but we weren't, things weren't going, moving. Um, I'm getting my dates mixed up. So probably six or seven years ago, we really felt as leadership team that God was really saying it's time to get back. Kind of a church plant, but we felt like the whole church was going back, which was about 40 or 50 people at the time. So we were praying, but I know in a lot of the conversations, they kind of ended up, you know, but we're a small church. We don't financially, we have no ability to even do these things. And you kind of, you pray, God, we want to know what your will is. But during that time, somebody had given me a book, um, Circle Maker, maybe Mark Batterson, I think that's the name of it. But it was kind of a devotional, and we decided, okay, Sunday mornings before church, we're going to start getting together to pray, whoever wanted to come. And usually there were seven or eight of us, and we started just kind of using that book. I think it was like a 40-day prayer type of thing, and we just, I'd read it ahead and just highlight a couple things. But the one of the things that stuck out to me was, it was just emphasizing the idea of praying bigger, praying more specifically. And almost just this idea that often we pray too our prayers are too small. They're not bold enough. They're not big enough. And in a sense, they almost, I don't want to say they're a disgrace to God, but almost like, do you not understand who I am? Like you're asking so small. You're asking so little. Like, do you not know my character? Do you not know what I'm able to do? And, you know, because for a while we were praying and asking him. And then when it came time, we would try to go do it for him. But we're not big enough and we don't have enough money yet, God. We know you kind of want us. And that book just emphasized that idea of praying bigger. And I know in them Sunday morning prayer meetings, prayer times, we started praying differently, just bolder. Like, God, you have to give us land. You have to give us money. You have to bring people with giftings here that we need. You have to give us the opportunities. And for several years, we were praying that way. And in 2020, I'm going to try to make this kind of brief because I we're going to get in the word. We sang that song, Behold Him, or I'm not sure what it's called, Come and Behold. I, see Him in this. Behold Him in this. Behold His character. Behold what He's like in this. And let it encourage you. So in 2020, the beginning of that, we had decided, so we're still over in Castor and, and really felt like, okay, God is calling us back to Watson to replant there. We had started looking for land. Nothing came up. We'd actually, there was a property at one point that we had been for sale for, I don't know, a year. And we looked at it a few times and kind of, it came to the point where we don't know why we wouldn't buy it. So we're like, okay, let's go to the congregation, kind of present that we're going to put a purchase offer in. The day that we intended to go to the congregation, somebody came and bought the land. So we're like, well, you know, God closed that door. So we kind of moved on. Nothing was coming up. So we went... Um, at RIC, Rosedale International they Center, they had a mature multiply summit. And actually, I think, Merlin, you, got, you were there. And some of it kind of had to do with church planting. I think there's a few pieces of that, but just the prayer. Like, that's the only thing I really remember is just, it was constantly praying together, just discerning God's plan. Like, they were writing out vision, like, six months, one year, two-year vision, but just leadership teams were together, just praying over this. Um, and several times during that, I think prophetically people, I remember one lady actually from New York just said, now is the time. Like she spoke that to me. I'm like, 
yeah, like keep going. Time for what it would be great. But so, and just even John Rose on our leadership team, we were kind of, and I was semi frustrated with him at the time. Like we were like, so what's our next steps to find land? He's like, I don't think we need to. We're just gonna, it's just gonna be there. And I'm like, no, we need to have a plan. Like this, the whole point of this summit is to make a plan. And he's like, no, I don't think we need a plan. So we got back home. And this is about mid-February. So we, I think we got home on a Saturday evening. And then Sunday, then Monday, Nate Zare called me. And he had retired from being a pastor at the time. But he called me. And I, I could tell something was in, just in his voice, like something was going on. And he's like, Sunday night I had a dream. It's like I was at this property. And it was a property that we were going to buy a couple years before that. And somebody purchased it. He's like, I was back at that property talking to some man there and he's like the dream was just so clear so vivid he's like I couldn't shake it all day and he'd been doing some electrical work with his son I believe and he's like on the way home I just had to turn around and go back to this property he's like I just couldn't so he went there and there's a vehicle in the driveway and he knocked on the door and the gentleman was home and Nate kind of just introduced himself. He's like, a couple of years ago, we were thinking about buying this property. Um, so there's a house and then there's a, I don't know, it's about three acres of kind of a field on the corner. And that's basically what we were looking at at the first time. He's like, would you ever like consider just selling that piece and, you know, keep the house and we'll just, and the gentleman just looked at him and smiles like, I can't believe this is happening. He's like, last night, my wife and I decided we wanted to sell and move to West Virginia. And he's like, we tried calling the realtor this morning. We didn't get an answer. And Nate's like, well, hold off on that. We'll save you some money. Like, because, I mean, he kind of knew he was, didn't overstep. <laughs> he's like, well, we're pretty sure we're going to put an offer in here shortly. And of course, another piece of that. So that's Monday, Tuesday night. We'd already had a congregational like vision meeting plan just to kind of, Again, discern what are our next steps? How do we keep moving forward with this? Even as far as finding land, I was still kind of on that. Like, what's our plan to get land? Um, so it wasn't a huge, tough decision to present to the congregation. Like, here's what happened. Like, is there any opposition to... I don't know what I would have done if there would have been opposition at that point. Um, but there was not. It was pretty clear that God had given us this land. And again, I, I know it was out of that prayer out of just praying differently, praying more boldly, praying because we understood or starting to understand, growing in our understanding of the character of God. I guess you should finish that story. My mind went back to Acts 4. That's where we're going to be. Um, I'll make it quick because I do want to get there. So, yeah, so that was February. By March, we had owned the property. Um, and then, of course, the COVID and all that stuff hit. Um, public health, I think probably all areas, was kind of encouraging, you know, if you can meet outside, do that. And I'm kind of like, well, we have outside. We don't even have an inside, really. Like, we were meeting at another church building that met in the evenings, so we were able to use it in the mornings, which was an absolute blessing. Um, a recovery center that we kind of partner with, do ministry with, had a big 40 by 60 tent that he called kind of out of the blue. He's like, hey, I had heard you got land and like, do you want to use our tent? Actually, he's like, do you want our tent? 
Um, so he and some of the guys in the recovery center came up a few weeks later, put this tent up. We started meeting there. I, th- I think in May, it kind of warmed up enough we could get out and use it. And that summer, we met in the tent. And actually, for three summers, we used that tent every summer. And then in the winter, we would go to Abundant Life and use that building. And the way God used even that tent that people were coming that wouldn't go to church, but they would come to the tent and um, be there was pretty amazing. And, you know, a handful of people got saved, baptized those years. It was just really neat to see the way God moved. And then, I guess, last summer, we were able to build the building and get that piece up and started. Beginning of October, we started meeting in the building, so we were able to stay there this year um, through the winter, which was really neat. And to see the way God is using that throughout. And there's a handful of just miraculous things that happened along the way. Even another acre of land that God had given us, we had tried to buy the year before because, like, this will just help. Even the way we positioned the building, all of that, and the lady at the time was like, I can't sell it right now because of, I think, insurance, Social Security stuff, whatever was going on there. Um, the week we were ready to kind of finalize where we're putting the building down, all of a sudden this lady calls, like half panicking, like, I need to sell the land really quick. Um, I think her husband had passed away and changed just the dynamics of some things going on, and we're like, yeah, we'll definitely buy this, like, are you all right if we start building on it even before it closes? And she's like, fine, and like did whatever paperwork we needed to do. So even in that, it was just, God kept doing these things. And I remember asking a couple times, like, God, if you wanted us to have this land, why not two years ago? Like, we could be two years farther down the line. He's like, now you know I did it. You didn't do it. And that has always stuck out to me. And I think even the way I pray, it continues to be, God, do this in a way that only you can get the glory. Do this in a way that people will see this and know that you did this. Because we can get creative and we can get fancy and we can build buildings and we can do things. We can find land. We can purchase land. And we love to steal glory too much. All right, I want to start preaching now. That was preaching, that was proclaiming the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, the power of God. Acts 4. I might just read the whole chapter. At one point, a texter was talking with Merlin, and I don't know if I'd asked him if he wanted me to share anything specific or this or that. And I, One of the things that stuck out what he said is, the people here love the word. They want to hear the word. That is so awesome. And it might not be as common as you think it is. So I'm going to read the word. I won't talk about all of this. We were in Nehemiah in Sunday school, and he did this for six hours. So we're good, right? I got the thumbs up. All right, let's read this. So Acts 4. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest 
Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, but what pow- by what power or by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom the sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they, were, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul and no one said that any of the Any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of land or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of of Cyprus, sold the field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So 
there's a couple, I guess, three statements that stuck out to me in the first, I guess, half of, of chapter 4. In verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So these religious, religious leaders saw a boldness that they became astonished, maybe flabbergasted. But I was just, my mind went to that, like, they saw a boldness. Like, what does this boldness look like? I mean, they know they were uneducated, common men. That always gives me comfort. Um, but they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's cool. So keep that in your mind. And then verse 20, for we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They're being threatened to stop preaching and sharing Jesus. And their answer is we can't stop. So that's pretty cool too. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and a great grace was upon them all. Again, I'm thinking like, I would like that to be said of me and I, I think that's okay. I don't think that's being proud. Like I would like someone to say, and with great power, Todd was giving his testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon him. Like I would like that to be, I would like someone to say, you've been with Jesus. Like, I hope if I ever face persecution in any way, I'm like, but I can't stop talking about Jesus. So how do we live lives? What has to happen? What needs to transpire so that those sayings can be said of us, can be said of you as a church? And I kind of feel like this is a message for the church for you guys as a body. Certainly apply it personally. But what has to happen, what is happening, where people are gonna say, like, they've been with Jesus. We can't stop talking about Jesus. Great grace is upon us. As we were driving here, this kind of thinking through some of this stuff. But, so, again, so what has to happen? Do you just pretend? Do you just pretend like you have great power? Do you just pretend like people think you've been with Jesus? Because we were driving, and I think Amanda was kind of sleeping at the time, and the GPS, whatever it's called now, Google, um, was talking to us. And she thought it said, pretend like you're on I-90. And I think sometimes when I'm driving, it probably just gets to the point, like, just pretend you're on the right track. It's like, <laughs> I can get lost so easy. Like, I don't even, it didn't say pretend like you're on 990. But I, sometimes I feel like even as believers, though, can we just, like, we read it in the word, we read what it's supposed to look like, we read like we're, we know there's supposed to be boldness, we know there's supposed to be just this grace upon us, we know we're supposed to live like Jesus, so we just say, well, let's just pretend like we are. We know that's not the answer. Or the other thing is, do we just say, okay, so 
I want those things to be said about me, so I just need to try harder. I did, I'll use this. We got six hours. I can get all day. I like object lessons, I guess. I don't know. So this, is there a plug-in down here somewhere? I don't need it yet. I just gave it away. So this will be us, these, these plugs here. So I'm thinking about, like, so our, our desire is that we want people to see us and be like, they've been with Jesus. We want to give our testimony with great power. We want great grace. Us. We want to be the light of the world, right? We've been called to be the light of the world. So we're going to plug this in, maybe. There we go. So we want to be the light of the world. So it's not being the light of the world, right? There's nothing going on. And the other thing we've been called to, you know, share the gospel. So we want to give our testimony with power. So I got my phone here. We got to plug that in to keep it charged up so we can, the phone is like, I guess, communication. We're talking. That's where I'm going with that. In case you didn't make the connection. So I plugged that in and, uh, there's still no power. Like, I'm not proclaiming the gospel with power. Nothing is happening here. So, like, what needs to happen? Do I need to, you know, maybe if I put this one over on this side, but there's still no light. Nothing's going on. There's still no power. So maybe I think what we can do at this point is think, okay, there's one more outlet. So I need to work harder. I need to do more. So I'll just plug that in. But... It's, there's still no light. There's still no proclamation of the gospel. And we'll, we'll leave that. And I, you guys, I'm guessing, seem fairly intelligent that you, you probably get where that's going. But, but we get the answer in this chapter. And as Aaron was saying, really the whole early church is prayer. They pray to prayer. So my question started being like, so the prayer that they prayed can we pray it? Should we be praying this? Is that prayer relevant for us to pray right now today, us, in this very moment? February, I don't know what date we are. 19th? 2023. Like, can we pray that prayer today? Should we pray that prayer? And I want to go through a few things quickly. Again, we know the answer is yes. I'll fill you in with that already. But I want to just look at some I guess kind of questions or reasons why we should be praying this prayer that they prayed in Acts 4, and we'll look at that prayer. But we should pray this prayer because we need the answer that they got. We need the answer that they got. The answer is verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's the answer that we need. I think it's interesting, and you can go back this afternoon, this week, but just look at the parallels with Pentecost here. Both of them, God gives physical demonstration of his power. He gives the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He releases just courageous proclamation of the gospel. So again, and I say that sometimes because we think, okay, the Holy Spirit came at Pentecost, the boldness, and then that's kind of it, and now we're just kind of writing it out. 
But over and over throughout Acts and throughout church history, we see that same thing that people were praying, they were filled with the Holy Spirit, that even often physical things happen, whether or not it's building shaking or not. We see people getting healed. We see thinking, things happen and people proclaiming the gospel with boldness. And my point is, is that's exactly what we desperately need. The outpouring of the Spirit is what we need in the church in America. And as I was sitting here and even in Sunday school class and even this week with Merlin, just hearing some of the things that were going on, I kind of started thinking, but they're doing pretty good. Like I'm hearing some good things. Like I shared in Sunday school class, I was kind of overwhelmed with just the hunger, the desire there. But the need for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is true even in the best churches. Because my mind went to this church, to what was going on in Acts. Things weren't going so bad. Thousands of people were getting saved. I mean, they're talking about they had all things in common, and yet, you know, they were giving away land, they were doing all that. People were getting saved, healing crippled people. Like, you wouldn't look at that church and be like, oh, that's a dead church. They need the Holy Spirit. And yet, my point is, if they needed to pray this prayer, we need to pray this prayer. The best church needs to pray this prayer. So the first reason why we should pray it is because of the answer. The second is, can you pray what they prayed? Can you, can I pray what they prayed? Am I qualified to pray that prayer? Because I think, again, we can say, well, you know, that's the Bible, that's Acts, that's the first church, that's the apostles, yes. Okay, they can pray for the Holy Spirit and boldness and signs and wonders to happen, but I'm just me. Like living Indiana, Michigan, 2023, got a normal job, normal family, or an abnormal family. <laughs> like, am I qualified to pray this? In, in, or maybe you're thinking, well, things are going really well. I, like, I'm praying, like, I'm already, you know, in the word, things are good. I don't need to pray that. So I want to look at two ways why I believe that, yes, you can pray what they prayed as an individual. So verse 23 and 24, if perhaps you're thinking, well, I'm not qualified to pray this prayer. I'm not an apostle. I'm not on the leadership team. I'm not, I don't have a certain status in the church or whatever could possibly cross our mind thinking, well, I'm not qualified to pray a prayer that's asking for the filling of the Holy Spirit in the proclaiming of the gospel with boldness. But 23 and 24, when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, and they started praying. So it says they went to their friends. So who are their friends? What does that mean? And that, that word literally means their own. It simply means family, friends, associates, neighbors. See, they didn't go to this special group of, you know, the leaders of the church or only an apostles only meeting, prayer meeting. They went to their friends. They went to their neighbors, their associates. They went to the local church. 
and prayed. I'm quite sure it was filled with people like you and I, normal, everyday people that love Jesus. So everyone is qualified to pray this prayer. Perhaps, I don't think that's true of this church, but perhaps you're thinking you don't need to pray this prayer because things are going really good. We're doing a good job. I don't think that's true. I haven't sensed that at all. But I think we have to guard against that. I know even at Living Hope, things have been going really well, and it could be easy to kind of let down that fervency of the need to pray, the need to daily be filled with the Holy Spirit, the need to daily just God to impart his boldness on us because things are going good. The church is growing. We're reaching people and it's easy to kind of maintain and become complacent. But again, ask us, who did the outpouring of the Holy Spirit come was it on weak people, on disobedient people, godless people? No. Verse 8 said that Peter had been filled with the Holy Spirit when he stood up to speak in the courtroom. I think this is maybe the third time already in Acts that it says Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And I just say that because like, there's evidence that there was a need to continually be filled, even Peter himself, to be filled. I mean, these people were spirit-filled people. They were bold people already. I'm like looking at it. Well, you're praying for boldness? Did you not just read the chapter before, Peter? Like, of what you just did. Of, you just said we can't stop preaching Jesus when they said stop. And you gotta pray for boldness now? And that's why, again, you're not underqualified, but you're certainly not overqualified to ask for the boldness, the filling of the Holy Spirit. So again, if they needed to pray this prayer, then so do I and so do you. All right, let's keep rolling. We're praying to the same God. So again, like, and we know this, I hope you know this, like the God they went to is the same God we're going to. So again, this whole thing is like, is this prayer, is this, and I'm not saying you got to verbatim pray this prayer, but maybe that's not even a bad idea. But is this prayer relevant for us? And another reason is it's the same God. They're going to the same God that we're going to. As Aaron said, are you ready to get in the throne room with this same God? It's interesting, this prayer, they spend way more time talking about the character of God than they actually do asking him what they need. And I think that was one of the things that amazed me in the Sunday school class. And I, I'll just stereotype and guess that's probably hopefully across the board in all of this. Like, you gotta know the character of God. You gotta know the promises of God. You gotta know what he's like. Because the thing is, you can't pray right if you don't know what God is like. If you don't know that he's faithful and powerful and good, that he never breaks his promises, how are you gonna go and ask him for these things with any sort of confidence? Certainly in this situation, when you're about to face the sword, you need to know who God is when you're going to talk to him. 
They identify God in two ways. They say he's the sovereign Lord, creator of all things, in verse 24. They appeal to him as the creator. And I think this is the idea, too, that they know if God created everything in the earth, so that includes these elders and priests that are telling them to stop. They know they can ask in that he has control to make them do whatever he wants them to do. Because again, that idea, we can throw that idea, God created the heavens and the earth, okay, good. But have you ever stopped and think that means he's sovereign. That means he can make things move when they need to move. He can make people sell their houses when they need to sell their houses. And you pray differently when you stop and be like, God, you're sovereign, you're creator. I'm coming to you right now because I know you can do this. They say that God is the one who is ruler of all, even the deeds of evil men. And this is one of those things where 25 through 28, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of, the Isra- of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. <laughs> he rules. He is sovereign. Even over evil men. And all of this is part of their prayer, the prelude to asking for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And this is why I'm so encouraged being here because I've been in churches where doctrine and theology were not that important. You just ask for the power of the Holy Spirit. But these early Christians, this church knew better. They knew if they were gonna go to God, they needed to know what he was like. I mean, they're quoting Psalms. They're quoting prophecy saying, you said this was gonna happen. It did happen. Like, they're praying that. And it wasn't because God didn't know. Oh, God, by the way, remember that, you know, Psalm, I don't know, what was it, 220? I might have wrote it down. Just in case you wanna look it up. Psalm 2 is the prophecy saying that all this is gonna happen. And it did. Like, God's not, oh, I was the one that created the heavens and the earth, thanks. Like, they weren't doing it to remind God. They were doing it to praise him. But I think in that, it was also they needed to know who they were going to. You're sovereign, God. You're the creator. You're the one that even those evil men, you dictated what they would do and not do because your son was gonna go to the cross. Doctrine matters. Knowing the character of God matters. And I don't know where I am here. I wrote down this from Sunday school, quoted one of the young ladies No, that's not it either. Anyway, this is where sometimes I just start speaking out loud what's going through my head, Merlin. throws people off. (laughs) But the idea that if if we're gonna believe that God is faithful, if we're gonna live like God is faithful, 
then we need to know the character of God and we need to know the word of God. It was along those lines that she said that. And that really stood out to me. If we don't know who God is, what he's like, his character, his attributes, if we don't know his promises, if we don't know the word of God, then we're not gonna pray the way we should. Doctrine and theology are important if you want the power of the Holy Spirit. They're not two separate things. This is really important today, too. I just, we can't twist or compromise or change what is written in the Word of God and still expect to walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. My heart has been broke going to some churches and hearing the doctrine and the theology that's getting preached. And then the confusion why the Holy Spirit, the power isn't there, the power of the gospel isn't there. Because you can't twist and compromise the truth and still expect to live in the power. If we want his fullness, if we want the filling of the Holy Spirit, if we want to be able to speak with boldness, we need to fill our minds with the truth of the word of God. We need to fill our minds with the character of God. Then we will be able to pray like the early church. Then we will receive, I believe, the pouring out of the Spirit. We're praying to the same God. I better get going or I will be six hours. Kind of nice that you guys are excited about that. <laughs> Don't tempt me. I'm getting closer, but I'm also getting excited. So we gotta. So what did they ask for? So I was kind of thinking again. We're think, just this whole thing, and you know the answer already. We should pray this prayer. But again, I want to just make sure, like I know that we know we can and should pray this prayer and just look at what this is. But what did they ask for? Verse 29, they get to the request, and they said, now, Lord, look upon their threats. So the first thing they, in a sense, ask for is, God, look. God, will you look? Take note of this. God, pay attention to what's happening here. They've just told us not to speak about Jesus. They just told us to stop Proclaiming the gospel. God, look at this. Look at the threats. And again, I know God wasn't in the corner not paying attention, but I got a feeling like this, okay, these guys are coming to me because of the glory of my son, Jesus. Like my ears all there now. They're not coming and asking me to take away the persecution. They're not coming and asking me because they want a new president. They're not saying we need some different laws in place. They're coming and saying, God, look, they're threatening us. They're trying to get us to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. Like these threats are against the reputation of Jesus. And God, here's what we need so that we don't compromise the name of Jesus. Here's what we need, God, so we don't stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. Here's what we need, God, so we don't stop saying this is absolute truth. 
Grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. They want God to give them boldness. They ask God to stretch out his hand to heal people, that he would cause signs and wonders to happen all through the name of Jesus. And again, we need to notice what they didn't ask for. I think it's worth, and I don't know if it happens around, I know in New York, like especially 2020 and that, and again, we should pray for our government. I'm not saying it that way, but people were asking for the oddest things to happen because I believe they just, their comfort was being threatened. We need a new governor, God. We need this, God. We need laws against abortion, God. We need, no, just go adopt someone. That came out of last night. <laughs> like pray for God to give you the means, the ability to go step in and be the church. Stop praying for God to change the government. Stop praying for new presidents. Thinking that somehow that's the answer for the church. They asked for boldness to speak the truth. They didn't ask for their discomforts to go away. They didn't even ask for the persecution to stop. They just asked for boldness. And God to do things that people took notice of. To show his power, to show his glory to show his care. Again, what are signs and wonders for? Because I've been around people that are even nervous to pray this. You know, signs and wonders, wait a minute. Like, even on the way here, we come and there's a sign out front. What's the point of the sign out front? Or what's the point of a traffic sign? It's to direct you. It's to point you at something. It's to say, look at that or come here. Like, it'd be weird if I just stayed out by the sign there. Hey, we're at, I'm at Riverview. Is that, I forgot the name of the church, Riverview. <laughs> like, it would be odd if I was still out at that sign just saying, this sign is awesome. Like, I love this church. They did such a good job designing this sign. I grew up in a charismatic church, and that happens we fall in love with the signs. These signs are amazing. Let's build more signs. Let's just have a church full of signs. And people can come and worship the signs. And again, we wonder why the power of the Holy Spirit's not there. And I say that, pray for healing. Absolutely pray for healing. Pray for signs and wonders, but don't ever forget that they're meant to point you at Jesus. They're meant to point people at Jesus. I heard this, I, one, like a toddler, if you like, are at a window or something, and if you point outside, say, look at that bird, like a toddler will just look at your finger. Be like, oh, yeah. And it's like, you, your point is, no, look at the bird. So, and I just say that as a reminder for us as a church, I think you're going to start seeing signs and wonders here. Walls are going to come down. People will be getting healed. People are going to be getting saved. You will see miracles. But never forget, do not fall in love with the signs. Don't stare at the finger. Like, what's it pointing at? It's pointing at Jesus. All right, the last one. The reason they prayed this prayer, and I've hit on this 
a little bit already. So Peter and John had been released from custody, spent the night in jail. They're being interrogated. Verse 23, they tell the other believers, you know, what the chief priests and elders had said. Verse 29 kind of gives us a clue. Um, They say, now, Lord, look upon their threats. So again, Peter and John have had, I told them about the threats mentioned in verses 18 and 21. And these threats, and this is, you know, the reason they prayed, verse 18, not, they were commanded, they were told not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. So that's the reason they're praying. Because they've been told, do not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. These are big time threats. In a sense, threats where we're not quite facing in America of being thrown in prison or being killed. So again, do we need to pray this prayer? But stop and think about that for a minute. And the reason they're praying, I believe this prayer, is because they were told not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. That's evident by what they asked for. So my question is, has there been threats against the preaching of Jesus today? In this very community, has there been threats against the preaching of Jesus today? The threats of preaching absolute truth. Again, they look differently for us, probably not imprisonments and physical beatings yet. But it's no longer viewed as acceptable to say there is absolute truth that Jesus is the only way, that heaven and hell are real, that people who do not trust in Jesus as their Lord and Savior will spend eternity in hell, that men are men and women are women, that marriage is a man and a woman. The name of Jesus is being threatened. The, The preaching of the name of Jesus. There were obstacles in the way of the spread of Jesus' name. And this is why the church was so urgent in its prayer. And that's why we need to be so urgent to pray this way. That God would give us boldness to keep preaching, to keep speaking the name of Jesus. The signs and wonders would happen to point at Jesus, to continue to display his power, his glory. Because here's what's really has been overwhelming me lately because I was thinking like put yourself in Peter's shoes here for a minute. Even I had Matthew 26. So this is Peter a bit before this time. Peter answered him, though they all fall away because of you, I will never fall away. Probably every one of us, if you were asked, would say, Jesus, I'm never going to compromise the word of God. I'm never going to fall away, Jesus. I'll never stop preaching the truth of the word of God. I'll never compromise this. I'll never back down in the face of persecution, Jesus, not me. Jesus said to him, truly, I tell you, this very night before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said, even if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And all the disciples said the same. 
So here's Peter and the disciples standing right in front of Jesus. He's physically right there. They physically have just with their own eyes seen and heard all these miracles and they're saying, we will not deny you. And hours later, Peter denies him three times. I believe Peter and this church knew they needed the Holy Spirit. Well, there was a very likely chance that they could do the same thing again. They realized how weak they were apart from the Holy Spirit. One of the things that has been overwhelming me and I've just cry out to God and I plead with my church to pray for me and it's not just me, but just us. In our community, there's two or three churches that I know fairly well that I would have been there even asked to preach at them seven, eight years ago. And I think if I would have asked, they would have said they believe in the gospel. They would have believed male, female, marriage. And today they don't. Like I've sat down with these pastors and talked to them and asked them questions. But I guess the thing that hit me, six years ago they're here and I would have agreed with them, biblically. And today they're here. And then what goes through my mind is like, why couldn't I be here and then end up here? And that's where I just start pleading, God, don't let me. I need grace. I need the Holy Spirit. Don't let me compromise your truth. end with one more story, I guess, from my life. Um, like, I really believe this Sunday morning prayer thing is <laughs> I'm not in the position to tell you what to do or not to do. It was, I don't know, five or six years ago again. God's been teaching me a lot about prayer, but I had a dream. And I share this as much as I can just because it's meant so much to me. I don't know if it, <laughs> it will to you or not. I rarely remember dreams, like rarely. Like I'm just kind of blank all night. I don't know how that all works. But, but I had woke up that morning and like I remembered pretty clearly. And I was dressed in like army Outfit, maybe Vietnam style stuff, I don't know, camouflage, hard helmet. Like, my whole family was there. We were in this, like, bunker. There's, like, the barbed wire rolls all over and the mud. It was just like a classic war scene. And we're in this trench with my family. And I have no weapons. I have nothing. It's just, we're just dressed. That's it. Just there. And I look in the distance, and the enemy's coming. 
just loaded for bear. Tanks, machine guns, everything. They're just coming at us. And I remember in the dream just thinking like, there's nothing I can do to protect my family right now. Like I'm absolutely helpless to do anything to stop. I mean, there's thousands and thousands coming with tanks, everything. Like, and as a man, as a father, as a husband, like I didn't know what to do with that feeling. Like it was horrible. Because I knew I was absolutely helpless. They were just going to come and destroy me and my family. And God said, pray. I'm like, God, I'm helpless. You have to protect us. And in the dream, immediately the whole army was just destroyed. And I started changing the way I prayed for my family, for the church. So every one of you is absolutely helpless to stop the enemy in your own strength. Like, I hope you know that. You are helpless. There's nothing you can do. He will destroy you, and he will destroy your family like that. I don't care how many times you go to church. I don't care how much you read your daily bread. I don't care how you dress, where you go. In your own strength, you are absolutely helpless. I don't care what your last name is, any of that. Enemy will destroy you. That's why you need to pray this prayer. That's why you need to be absolutely desperate to pray this prayer. I just want to pray for you guys, with you guys, to close. So I'm just going to ask that if you desire to be filled with the Holy Spirit, if you desire to give your testimony to the resurrection of Jesus with great power, if you desire great grace to be upon you, that you would just stand. Like if you recognize that this prayer is for you as a church, for you as an individual, I just ask you to stand. Father, we do come before you. Just trembling, Father. We're coming before a holy God. 
an awesome God. A sovereign God. The creator of the heavens and the earth. Coming before a God who heals. Before a God who saves. God who is merciful. Full of grace. Full of truth. You are truth, Father. You are love. You are light. You are goodness. You are redeeming God. So, Father, we come before you and ask that you would grant us to continue to speak your word with boldness, to continue to speak the gospel with boldness. Ask, Father, that you would open eyes to see the opportunities today, tomorrow, to love people, to serve people, to allow your goodness, to allow your grace to pour through into these people, into these situations, Father to join you in what you're doing. Father, I just ask, Jesus, I ask that you would fill each one here with your Holy Spirit. Fill them with the power of the Holy Spirit. Fill them with the goodness of the Holy Spirit. Fill them with the comfort of the Holy Spirit, with the peace of the Holy Spirit. Father, I just ask that you would give them boldness to never compromise your word, to never compromise the truth. Jesus, I ask that you would be with them so real, so tangibly that people would be around them and be like, you, you've been with Jesus. I pray that you would fill them with such a boldness and a confidence in your character and your promises that no matter what type of persecution, no matter how severe the persecution, the threats, they would say, but I can't stop talking about Jesus. I just pray that you would pour great grace upon this place. Great grace upon these people. Great boldness. And Father, I pray that they would shine bright in this community because they've been with you, Jesus. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.